You're listening to episode number 70 of The Green Elephant in the Room. This is your host, Eco Rico, and today we're going to look at the future. How do we think about a world that doesn't yet exist? Can you imagine what a post-carbon future would look like? For decades, visions of possible climate futures have been thought of, on one hand, Pollyanna-like faith that normality would endure, and on the other, an ecological end of days during which perhaps billions of lives would be devastated or destroyed. It's difficult to know where you're going if you don't have a clear vision of what the future looks like. In particular, a positive vision where you could get excited and motivated to really make transformative change. Polling suggests that people are much more likely to act when future scenarios are placed in a positive light. It's important for us to share an encouraging narrative, one where we think and then act on those positive yet realistic solutions without downplaying the dire implications of climate change. While we cannot stop global warming overnight, we can slow the rate and limit the staggering amount of carbon we flood the atmosphere with every day. If all human emissions of heat-trapping gases were to stop today, Earth's temperature would continue to rise for a few decades as ocean currents bring excess heat stored in the deep ocean back to the surface. Once this excess heat radiated out into space, the Earth's temperature would stabilize. A perceptual problem with our climate and ecological issues is, we feel like we're going to lose something. Our cars, our hamburgers, our exotic vacations to tropical nations. While not perfect, most of us in the wealthier West have a pretty sweet life. Particularly compared to almost anyone throughout history, or say the three quarters of a billion people that will go to bed tonight with no electricity. It's hard to visualize how life could be post-fossil fuels. You can never really see the future, only imagine it, then try to make sense of the new world when it arrives. What will life be like after we've solved climate change? Better than today or worse? Mud huts and gruel or flying cars and the Jetsons? A common complaint by critics who object to making global warming-based changes to the economy say such changes would destroy America's standard of living and force everyone to live in yurts and eat tofu. The real question then is, are our lives and lifestyles going to be significantly worse than today? Or is it conceivable that much of future life could be improved, made perhaps even better? The answer to what happens next depends entirely on how quickly we act. Many of those technological and policy changes are already underway, but need to be sped up. For a moment, let's forget that we already have poured more than one trillion tons of carbon produced by human activity that is now suspended in our atmosphere. Let's presume we've successfully made that shift to a carbon-neutral world and you, your children, 
or your grandchildren are waking up on a crisp fall morning sometime between 2050 and 2100. What's the day like? Houses won't look all that different, though homes will almost certainly have solar power included if it's appropriate for the area. This would be especially important to decreasing the pressure on power production for cooling during the day. California already has a law requiring that all new homes built after 2020 include solar panels. Homes will still have heat and cooling, electric lights, lots of electronics, and big windows. But the systems and appliances will be much more efficient and much smarter. This shift is already happening. Today's refrigerators are about 20% larger but use one quarter of the electricity compared to those sold 20 years ago. The LED light bulbs you buy at the grocery store use 20% of the energy the incandescent bulbs of a decade ago did. When you get out of bed in the morning, the house will likely be a comfortable temperature. Properties will probably still have a furnace or an electric heat pump, but they won't be used as much because homes will be much better insulated with windows that keep heat and cold in and out. The systems used to heat buildings will likely look different than the ones we know today. One example already being used in some U.S. buildings involves preheating or chilling water when power is cheap and then using it during the day when the power is more expensive. It's like radiators. In the ceiling of each floor you'll have a cold water air heat exchanger. The cold water sits in a series of pipes. The air blows across it and becomes quite cold and blows in to cool the room. After getting out of bed, the next step might be to check the dishwasher to get out a cup for coffee. The dishwasher, along with most appliances, will likely be tied to a smart system in your house that knows the cost of power at different times of the day. If the local power company gets significant power from wind turbines, the cheapest power may be at night. If it's from solar, it might be cheapest during the day. Your dishwasher may very well communicate with the electric power grid and ask you if you want to run the dishwasher only when the price of power is less than 12 cents per kilowatt hour. So your dishwasher may decide to run at 2 o'clock in the morning. Or you might set an override to tell the appliance that whatever the price, the dishes have to be done by 6 p.m. in time for dinner. Another infrastructure change will likely be the more common use of geothermal heat pumps. Heat pumps take advantage of the fact that the ground beneath our feet tends to stay consistently about 55 degrees or 13 Celsius summer or winter. That means if you run pipes down about 68 feet or about 3 to 4 meters below a house or an apartment building, you can cool or heat a liquid in those pipes to around 55 degrees. That liquid can then be piped up into the building and used to bring the temperature inside to 55 degrees. Essentially it works because of this. If you live in a climate that varies very cold or very hot certain times of the year, you would only have to heat or cool your house a few degrees for comfort. So on a cold winter day when the temperature is zero degrees, you would have to heat your house a full 70 degrees to be comfortable. Now, an underground house at 55 degrees would only need to be heated 20 degrees to reach a nice warm 75. 
Conversely, in the summer, you would need to heat your house a few degrees more to be comfortable. Coal, oil, and many natural gas-fired power plants will have long ago closed. Instead, the nation will likely be powered by a mix of nuclear, wind, solar, hydroelectric, and in some cases, natural gas. The power grid will have to be rebuilt to accommodate more periodic power inputs, with the positive effect of also allowing it to be protected against physical and cyber attacks. Driving across America, the sight of large solar arrays or wind turbines will be common. Much as seeing oil rigs is an everyday sight in many parts of the United States now. Most of us won't really even notice it. For example, when you walk out of your home, you can easily notice all the poles and wires that bring you power now, and most of us just take it for granted. The car of the future will be electric. That's because electricity is easy to generate from carbon neutral sources such as wind, solar, and nuclear. It's a shift that's already underway. In Norway, an amazing 65% of all car sales are electric. That's a far cry from the fewer than 1% of cars in the U.S. that are electric today, but most experts presume the shift will happen relatively quickly. It also won't be wrenching. My wife and I live in Mexico and have not owned a car for 21 years, but due to family reasons, she recently bought one in the United States. It's a Chevy Bolt. I haven't seen it, but she told me it's very practical, well thought out, and fun to drive. She said it's the best car she's ever had. Those future cars will have a range between charges that will likely be much more than today's 225 miles or 360 kilometers. Many estimates put it at 400 miles by 2028. There will likely be fast charging outlets nationwide, just as there are gas stations today. Already new homes in Atlanta must be built to accommodate electric vehicles. More and more people already are and will be living in cities which produce dramatically fewer greenhouse gases per person than suburbs. But the cities will be designed with the kind of human-friendly densities that are already being incorporated into city planning across the globe. We'll have mostly apartment buildings and townhouses that are walkable and with bike paths built in. Excellent mass transit will be available in electric buses and vans. Businesses and office buildings will be interspersed rather than plunked down miles outside of town in office parks and light industrial areas. The shift away from far-flung suburbs is already apparent in today's generation. Young people want to be able to walk to the grocery store and to the office and the gym. This is already happening globally in cities like Barcelona, Bogota, Melbourne, Milan, Paris, and Portland under the moniker of the 15-minute city. Others will choose space to spread out for cheaper land and housing. Preferences made more sustainable due to the increasing ability to work from home or commute by electric vehicles. In the future, work will be more integrated with living areas. But wherever it is, the office will have been built to very high standards to reduce waste, save water, and conserve energy. 
Already more than 33,000 buildings in the United States have gotten LEED certification, making them highly efficient. LEED stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design and has been the standard for efficient building design for decades. Not that everyone will still go to an office every day, as we are already experiencing. Telecommuting all or part of the time will become more common as the tools for doing so, fast internet and good video connections, become cheaper, better, and easier to use. More people will also work from communal workspaces near where they live. Big U.S. companies are already beginning to do this. Amazon, Apple, and Google have dozens of offices across the nation where people can work so they don't need to move to Silicon Valley in California or to Seattle. Many young people are already used to working from shared office spaces such as WeWork and Impact Hub. For travel within the United States, a network of high-speed electric trains will likely crisscross the country, making rapid travel easily accessible. San Francisco and Los Angeles are three hours apart by rail. Chicago to New York, five hours. We'll still fly places, but it will likely be more expensive than some of today's rock-bottom prices. Jet fuel has to be very energy-dense, so electric planes are out of the question at the moment. What's old will likely be new again in many ways when it comes to food and farming. The nation's food supply will likely be fresher and more wholesome as growers and sellers become better at managing logistics to minimize travel time and loss. We'll eat more seasonably than we do now because we'll be paying more for energy and farmers will be thinking harder about water and energy use. We've gotten into this mode that we expect to see blueberries and oranges every week of the year. As energy costs go higher and water becomes even more in short supply in the future, not every type of food will be available at every moment. Not that kiwis won't be available from New Zealand or tomatoes in December, but they'll be more expensive. If you're old enough, you probably remember looking forward to getting strawberries or peaches in the summer, as an example. More likely, we'll be eating the same kinds of foods we eat now, but it'll be produced differently and much more efficiently. That's especially true of meat, which will either be plant-based faux meat or tissue grown in vats that is identical to meat on a cellular level. The reason is it is very inefficient to raise an entire animal just to eat the edible parts. Meat from animals will still be available, what we'll call craft or specialty meat, but a far bigger portion of the meat industry will come either from plant or cell-based meats. Farms will likely look the same driving by, but a closer look will show differences. Older farming practices, like planting clover and other cover crops during the winter, will be more common to improve soil health, making it able to withstand floods or droughts and decrease the amount of fertilizer needed. Complex crop rotations, aided by computers, will make farming more efficient and cheaper because they will require less fertilizer and pesticides. Those fields will likely also incorporate wind turbines or solar panels to give growers additional income. That's already happening today. Many farms in the Midwest are getting rents of $3,000 to $5,000 per year to put in turbines on their land. 
paying farmers and ranchers to cite wind and solar really cuts back on objections to nimbyism, not in my backyard, which is going to be happening much more as we see the rollout of this new industrial renewable energy infrastructure. Fields also might have drones buzzing over them or small robots running down the rows stopping to test the soil for moisture, nutrients, and image the crops for weed and insect infestations. That information will automatically be fed to the farmer who can use it to precisely water and care for each small land unit as required rather than needlessly wasting expensive water and chemicals. Ranchers and dairy farmers can use similar technologies to move their cows and cattle from one paddock to another on an almost daily basis, mimicking what buffalo herds would have done. It's called intensive management grazing. It results in healthier land and better forage for the animals, ultimately bringing costs down. Another bonus in the future after we have solved climate change is the world's air and water will be cleaner as we stop using polluting energy sources. The air will become remarkably cleaner in our urban areas and there will be a dramatic reduction in the number who fall ill or the 7 million that die of diseases related to air pollution annually. The planet's resources will also become more equitable as carbon-neutral energy sources become cheaper and more efficient, making them available to people in parts of the world where energy is currently expensive and difficult to obtain. It's all doable, no breakthroughs required. The knowledge necessary for getting on that path is available. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by this vision of the coming world. This is a world in which all of our systems of energy, transportation, industry, and infrastructure will have to be remade in just decades. To move strategically toward a desirable future, we must first envision it. Instead of locking ourselves into designing the future the same way we have always done things, we must visualize a future based on a new system. By conceptualizing the future we want to arrive at, we can identify what we need to do today to get there. We have the collective courage, and it's time to make it happen. Let's embrace this opportunity to reimagine how we live and avoid the worst that climate will throw at us. This really is a singular time we live in. The old world of armed conflict and clashing political systems to the future world of looming climate and environmental catastrophe. As you have heard, it does not have to be this way. New research shows that cataclysmic climate change will probably not happen. What will happen, and is happening, is that for every tenth of a degree, life will become a little harder and a lot less pleasant. Matters will continue to degrade until we appreciate a simple concept. We need to fight for our planet not our country. The key effort is for the very few committed individuals to unite and demand the changes that frankly the majority of global citizens support. Those few dedicated activists and advocates are going to have to lead the way. To this end we have created a powerful resource on our website. We named it A Call to Act. 
It is well organized and lists hundreds of actions, activities, and organizations you can engage with today. In a call to act, you will discover hundreds of eco-action activities that cover every aspect of your life, home, family, career, school, shopping, leisure time, investing, and all the other aspects of our lives that will allow you to mobilize. We update it almost daily. Just yesterday, we added a section with information and resources for getting the most out of buying used items online. We put a link to a call to act in the show notes. Trust us, it's worth a look. And we promise we won't try to sell you anything. Save me. Save me.